Hello, East Glenville Community Church. This is Jessica Munn and Pastor Mitch with So, I have a question. Uh, this is episode 30, and uh, we're going to be hitting on two passages this week. So the first one is 1 Kings chapter 19, verses 13 to 21, and the other is 1 Kings chapter 21. Um, yeah, and they're from a couple Sundays ago, but um, <laughs> so the good morning. first... Oh, good morning. Yes. Um, the uh, man, we haven't done this for like what, like two weeks, and I'm already out of practice. Um, so this, uh, the first message was about um, Elijah pass passing the mantle off to Elisha after encountering God on top of the mountain, and um, I, you know, so just out of curiosity, I'm wondering, have you ever tried to drop something and run like Elijah tried to? <laughs> and just to, to, to note, so yeah. we use the phrase passing the mantle. I would strongly suspect that comes from this passage. Oh, I'm sure. And, and the word mantle is just another word for cloak. Um, so, yeah. And, and so in the story, <laughs> I just find it a humorous story that Elisha's farming and he's, you know, driving an oxen yoke and elijah just comes up puts his mantle on him and then keeps walking so it is sort of a drop drop it and run um elisha has to chase after him uh so i i don't know if i've been quite that i i would say when almost every time you leave a ministry context mm. as for me is it feels a bit like that because you're handing off to someone and you don't always feel like, um, you know, you know, who's taken over or, uh, so I, I mean, the most intense one for me was coming here. I left my last church in the middle of COVID. I had agreed to come That's true. right before COVID and, and made the announcement a few days before we announced we're not having, you know, we're shutting down in-person services and. And so my going away thing, like we couldn't even do anything hardly in person. It was so, you know, they, they were figuring out who would come next. It, it sort of felt like, all right, guys, I'm out of here. It's your problem now. And I felt a little bad about it, but it was what it was because of the situation. Um, so, so even if you're trying not to, it feels like you are. That's more my point. I can definitely relate to that one, even just in normal work and not just ministry stuff too. It's like, I really wasn't trying to dump this on you, but I'm dumping it on. <laughs> yeah, it, there is kind of the principle is, you know, once you leave something, you can't like dabble in it. In a sense, you got to leave it fully. Mm -hmm. Now, what, what Elijah did not quite grasp is God's intention was not that he was leaving the ministry. And I think that's the, that's more the point is Elijah mm -hmm. wasn't just supposed to drop it on Elisha. He was supposed to bring Elisha in. And that's maybe the better way to try to hand off a ministry rather than dumping and run. Right. Instead of dumping and run, like bring them in and prep them. And then eventually you will still have to pass it and yes. dump it and leave. But at least they'll be, they'll know some things first. Right which my sermon coming up tomorrow 
is is the fun finale. So Elisha ah, yes. becomes fully then he he literally picks up the mantle uh, and walks walks away with it after Elijah's gone. You're right, he does. Huh. Yeah. Um. So so you were talking just now about how uh, you thought that like it was just seems silly that Elisha was you know plowing the field and Elijah just showed up. Yeah. Um, well, let so, me ask you, Jessica. Did, yeah. did I, so? I have a question for you. Did did that seem as odd to you as it did to me? The whole scene, the, how that takes place. I think normally. So, so I guess I guess when I was younger, I always assumed when I read that passage that like yeah. Elijah was trying to test Alicia, or yeah, like almost a like are you really willing to drop everything and follow me type of a thing okay um but i think now that i'm older like it is kind of odd and i think that it's just like the outfall of elijah's like um burnout is just he's like i'm done like i and like just not thinking things as through and being like good luck to you type of thing and then realizing like oh i'm not done yet darn yeah that's a good point because i think i would have agreed that i would have initially in my younger days assumed that that was elijah's some master plan on some great way to hand off the ministry right like obviously he knows what he's doing he's such a great guy and then like but in reality like nope he's human (laughs) he's and and he doesn't know how to do it and he's burned out and so yeah yeah even just thinking through that like he's been by himself this whole time so like his only interaction was the the widow and her son um, who weren't even, yeah. And so like, it's almost one of those, like, did he forget how to deal with people? Like, did he like just forget how to interact? And, you know, we don't know how he came about. So did he ever get trained? Maybe he was just thrown in. So he just yeah. assumed that was normal. Yeah. Which speaks something for having, when I think about churches and pastors, Having some guidance, and I think I have gotten that. Mm. Um, in fact, I did talk about that. Uh, the head pastor, when I that t- you know got me to talked about wearing robes and the the laying down my stole, he's the one that talked to me about making, you know, transferring and laying down the burden of an old ministry and not trying to to go back to it. Mm-hmm. And so I think. That is, there's wisdom to be learned that uh, just had not been learned at that point. So. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm curious, what what do you think about Elisha? Uh, wow, um, Elisha's response to the mantle being thrown on him, because um, his response is pretty radical, too, in a way. Yeah, it, it makes me think that he had already been doing some business with God. Hmm. And that it was not completely out of the blue. Not that I think he expected that exact thing to happen. I don't think anybody would have. In his heart, he was like, God, I feel like there's more to life than farming. Mm-hmm. And, and then who, who but knows what Elisha had prayed. And this may have been part of the answer to his prayer. Mm-hmm. God loves to do that. I think answer prayers from both directions. Oh, yeah. Um, I mean, the, the other story like that that comes to mind is Peter um, having the image about the unclean animals and acts and then the vision 
And at the same time, Cornelius mm-hmm. was a, a Roman general who had the same type of vision and, and God used that to connect them. So we don't hear about Elisha's perspective, but maybe he was having visions in the night about something new is going to happen. Yeah. So yeah, that definitely seemed ready. Right. And that kind of leads to kind of my next question, because I think uh, some people will be like, oh, you know, like following Jesus, like when Jesus tells you to do something, you always say yes. Like, just just go and do it. Like, don't look back. And uh, but the way that you're kind of talking about Elisha, like it's almost like, yes, like Elisha said yes and didn't look back. But he also like it, it doesn't seem like this was the only interaction. Like it wasn't just a one time whim like oh okay we're just gonna burn it all now and and go and like it it seemed more of a gradual type of he was preparing to be in this position would you agree with that that's all that's that's what i suspect yeah we're not told true um the same is true when you have the disciples leaving their nets or leaving their boats or their nets and their james and john leave their fathers you know did they have some other action with Jesus interaction before that? Mm. And then in John's gospel, it, it kind of says they did that. That wasn't the first time they had met Jesus. Right. But Matthew's version, it makes it seem like it is. So I just, sometimes we don't always know what's fully going on in, in other people's stories. Mm. Um, I, I, I think the one question you have written, uh, just to, cause I, I really thought about that. So are we all expected to drop everything like Elisha did. What, what's your response to that? Um, I think that we are all supposed to say yes when God asks us to do something, um, but that he asks different things of different people. Uh, and so I remember, you know, being, being in university, you know, one of the things they talk about is you're, you're, everybody's a college student going to school for something. And uh-huh. so there was one um, international missions conference that university does called Urbana that I went to. And somebody was saying like, yeah, people are like, oh, you know, I wasn't a person who was called to go overseas, but like, were you a person who was called to stay? Like, were, were you a person who was called to ministry or were you a person who was called to the workforce? Like we all have a calling so don't just yes. say not getting one means that you don't have to do the hard, the things that seem harder. Um, right. And so I think that, I think that's kind of like, it's not going to, for most of us, it's not going to look like Elisha and just yeah. dropping everything and going. Jess, that is well said. I was the same exact thing I was thinking. The only thing I would add is I think there will be moments probably in, for every person where there's some aspect of, to be faithful, I got to walk away from something. Mm-hmm. And the, the demands of the kingdom at the moment, uh, and it, it calls to mind that the guy who said, let me go bury my father first. Not necessarily meaning he had to finish the burial prep, but it could have been. It could have been Jesus is saying, I'm heading to Jerusalem right now. If you are going to follow me into Jerusalem, it's now or never. Right. And you can either let your brother handle the father's funeral and follow me, or you're going to miss out. And so I, I, and I think, I guess the thought is, is that there could be that for every Christian at some point in time. Mm -hmm. Is that weed whacker my neighbor's using too loud or are you you still able to hear me? I can hear it. So you're good. Okay. 
<laughs> benefits. Of I'm outside now. because my, uh, you know, things are happening in the Reed household today. This is the quietest spot I, I thought I could get. <laughs> it works. Yeah. All right. We should keep moving. Yes. So, you know, one of the main points you were making after talking about this interaction with Elijah and Alicia was about discipleship. Um, and so I know you shared one story of discipleship kind of in your life outside of the ministry context um, about how uh, you had a, a family who would invite you into dinner once a week every um, for a while. Is there any other like snippets of discipleship that you could take note of or point to? Um, just kind of some practical, what might it look like? Yeah, I think um, I have so many. So I was reading this morning in James where it talks about, don't be just a, a hearer of the word, but but God is looking for people who will be doers of it that'll put it into practice. Yeah. And I think there is that almost, not tension, but just a kind of a, a dialectic really of, of like studying the word and then putting it into practice. Mm. And um, I can say probably the most formative time in my life was my first two years on life staff where we, we had a group of guys. Um, there may have been a couple women too, staff, young staff people. We were mostly just out of college and we were all, we would gather and we'd study and we'd talk. But then we would also serve together and help each mm-hmm. other and talk about what we're doing. And, and it's in those things that I was learning principles for ministry and, and just following Christ at the same time. And I learned a ton from a friend named Brooks and a friend named Andy, who are my peers. Mm-hmm. I also learned from Rob and Randy and a few others who were a little older um, in the, 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 the process. Yep. And um, so, yeah, but, but it was that combination of both getting away to study and think, and then how do you get it into action? Mm-hmm. And that's where I think discipleship is key. Is it, does that resonate with you? Yeah, it does a lot, actually. Um, and I think, like, for me, college was a great example of that just because, like, I, I was living with people. Um, uh-huh. And so, like, and it, as you were saying, like, it wasn't always a, like, you know, older person to younger person type of relationship. A bunch of them were, but a lot of times it was, like, my peers as well. And, like, right. you know, oh, God is bringing us through the same exact weird like situation in our lives at the same time so we can go through it together and teach each other what we're learning and yeah. uh, and just doing doing life together is a phrase we used to use all the time yeah and at the same time i do find it helpful to stay rooted in in the bible at least at some points because i think that the bible will trigger aspects of our life and yeah so at at a more recently and you know i had a a previous church i had a a men's group that we met well just just three of us and we met at 6 a.m before these guys had headed off to work Mm. and we we did a bible study together and that was good and you know i think they were learning things and that i could teach but then it inevitably got into how are we how does this apply in our lives And, and so um yeah, so it, I think there's a, there can be aspects of both in, in discipleship. Yeah. 
Yeah, and I guess that kind of leads me to another question of like, what are what are some key features of what good discipleship looks like? Mm. Um, well, I don't know if I'd answer differently than, than you already did, you know, doing life together. Mm. And at the same time, making sure God's word is, is a part of it. Mm-hmm. Um, do you have a, a, an, anything to add in that, that context? Yeah, I think before we mentioned how like it should be a mutual, like both parties learn from each other. Okay, yeah. Um, it's not usually good to have it be a one-sided as much. Um, yeah. Yeah, I, I could think so. Also at my last church, I had a, uh, we had, we hired an outreach coordinator, Hillary, mm-hmm. and she was she was trying to help the church kind of extend out, reach out to young adults, but also just reach out to the community and and so her and I talked a lot um, about strategy and ideas and you know why did this resonate? Mm. Why, why you know why why is it so hard to get young adults to come to church? Kind of <laughs> you know so. So I, I feel like I, I hopefully kind of added to her life, especially things from the Bible, you know, but, um, but I also learned a ton from her mm-hmm. and um, kind of getting, getting my head around, like, how might someone else think differently about it? So um, I think that can be good discipleship and there's a definite age difference there. Yeah. So have, have you experienced that where the mutuality at how would you describe that working? Yeah. Well, yeah, I'm trying to think. So I remember, uh, so one of the, one of the people who have been, I've kind of been in a quote unquote discipleship relationship with, um, I would, so I was a college student. She was actually, so she was the wife of my staff worker and who was also the assistant pastor at the church. And I was renting a bedroom out of their house. So We were living together. We were set already. up to be connected. Oh yeah. yes, very much so. And um, and so I had asked her like, "Hey, would you disciple me?" And she was like, "I don't like the formal idea of like having to do a book stuff study or something together." And I was like, "Okay, can you just be my spiritual mom?" And she was like, "Oh, I would love that." And so, and it was one of those things where like I, we would go on walks and just talk about things sometimes. And there was, you know, she was open and honest about what she was struggling with just mm-hmm. as much as I was open and honest about what I was struggling with. And so like, I remember when I, after I had graduated, I went back up to visit one weekend and it turns out that like, while we were there visiting, uh, she got pulled into helping with a like mini women's retreat. And she was kind of just like, Jess, like, I know like you're here to enjoy the weekend and stuff, but like, could you come with me just because like your presence there would like help me not stress and be relaxed and like I would love to have you join me and so that was like a huge honor for me of like oh yeah no like I I'm glad that I can also bring something to this relationship too yeah I think working hand in hand and doing the work of ministry is probably one of the best discipleship opportunities oh yeah you know and so looking when you're doing a task and something you know you for the Lord, it's like that what she did is, hey, is there any chance you could work with me on this? Mm-hmm. And sometimes that means giving up a little control or so, you know, or you feel like you're imposing on someone mm-hmm. um, like she sort of felt like she was imposing on you and you're, you're hesitant to do that. But, you know, 
prayerfully think about like, hey, I'm signed up to do this. I'd really love a, I'd really love someone to go with. Mm-hmm. And then it might actually be more fun anyways. Usually. That's what I've learned. Yeah. Yeah. What um, you, you noted before, like how awkward it was between Elijah and Elisha. Like, yes, Elijah didn't. I don't think Elijah knew what he was doing. Um, I think he was figuring it out. Yeah. Um, does discipleship ever feel like that? Oh my gosh, yes. Um, I have a couple of really good cringeworthy stories. So one, um, somebody who's actually I. Well, yeah, I asked one person to disciple me or be my mentor. Um, and so she was like, okay, let's get together. Like, and kind of bluntly asked me while we were at dinner, like, hey, like what, um, like what exactly are you looking for? And like, I was at a free, uh, just a point in my life where I was missing a lot of the connections I had made in college. And so I just looked at her and said like, I just want a really good spiritual, strong, sturdy, spiritual friend. And she's just like, okay, we could deal with that. And like, it was one of those things where like super awkward, but, but really good. And, um, and yeah, there's been a couple others where like me trying to invest in other people's lives and uh, you know, trying to get to know somebody, but then we spend an hour sitting at the table and the entire hour is me just like trying to keep asking questions so that they'll talk because they're like, otherwise just quiet and yeah. uh, you know later find out that they think I'm great and are, we're honored that I invested in them but at the time being like oh my gosh this person must think I'm nuts why like <laughs> ah. yeah I can think of a few times that it went like that or yeah and and I I think I, I've sort of said we're, we're not necessarily planning to start some official discipleship program at East Glenville. Mm-hmm. Um, I have some ideas on something we might do this fall. That's maybe a little more in that ballpark, but, but I just think it, it has to happen somewhat naturally. Mm-hmm. And um, if it tries to be too forced, it just, it's not going to accomplish what, what we hope because it is hard, but, but just even going in knowing yeah, it's maybe a little awkward to, to get it started, but it's worth it if you get past that awkwardness. Yeah. Yeah. And even just like, you know, as the relationship grows, so does the trust. And uh, you might misunderstand each other for a little bit at the beginning. And it, it's, you know, or even halfway you know, years in, it still might happen. And yeah. uh, that's just part of being in a relationship and doing life together. So, yeah. Yep. Well, we should probably keep keep moving through our, our thing. We should, yeah. We have a se- another sermon to talk about. We do. Um, yeah, so this one was about Naboth's vineyard and how Ahab, you know, had to have the one thing he couldn't have. And then uh-huh. Isabella is just kind of like, oh, we could make that work. Let, let's, just, let's just do things like everyone else does and, you know, have ultimate power and uh, end up killing the guy. Right. I, it, it just seems like Jezebel just knows how to play the game. Oh yes, of of the royal court, and she knows how to use power. And Ahab comes across as a bit clueless in this, and well, uh, I find I mean, that. If you, yeah, if you think about it, it's not like you know, 
it's not like the previous kings would have modeled how to be a tyrant to him because they weren't supposed to. So true. They were supposed to be a bit different. Yeah. And, uh, but, yeah, okay. almost like what Jesus says. You know, the the Gentiles lorded over each other. It is not to be thus with you. Mm-hmm. You know, we are called to and live differently in that. Yeah. So I did have, so one question I have is you talked about how, like, you know, we don't technically know how much Ahab knew about the whole scheme, but him and Jezebel are the ones who are held accountable for the murder um, and yes. the theft. Uh, so, so what about all the other underlings that are involved in this? Like, you know, the two scoundrels who make up false accusations and the elders who kind of, you know, might've realized something was fishy, but complied with it anyway. Yeah, we just don't know. Um, sometimes accountability, um, judgment happens in the moment or hmm. in, in our life, you know, and God leads us to face that. But other times it sounds like accountability does not happen until the end. We, we know there will be accountability. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, nothing that we do under heaven is, you know, away from the eyes of God in that sense. And um, so, you know, whether they, they felt guilty, you know, and said, man, you know, maybe they did repent on their own. We don't know. Or maybe they said, I guess this is how it works now. And they did even worse things. Usually you don't sit still. Like if they, if they complied with evil here, either they probably became hardened in their evil justice, or they started to feel some remorse and wanted to um you know it's like you're almost always moving in a direction towards god's ways or away from them that'd be my guess is how how it would have played out mm-hmm. okay and then so you also talked about how like the two things the prophets always got angry about um, were when people walked away from God, but also about injustice. And so I was almost kind of wondering, like, are those two things synonymous? Like, are, and then if, yeah, does that make sense? Um, I think they go hand in hand. So, but, um, so you could, I'd say walking away from God or more specifically is always about false worship. Mm, okay. That makes and sense. so, the two ish overall broadly issues it's you're you're worshiping falsely false idols or you are um taking advantage of the poor not not doing what you're supposed to do to um you know profiting off of violence and and those who can't protect themselves uh so i think um I mean, sometimes it seems like one's the issue and not the other. You could definitely, in a sense, be worshiping the right God Mm. and going through the right aspects of worship, um, but yet still be very on the wrong side of God. In fact, a couple of times, you know, in Isaiah, it talks about God is angry at their practice of religion. Mm. And he says, I hate your feasts and all this, not because they're done wrong worship wise, right? Because they do those instead of 
doing the things they ought to do. So they, they are not necessarily, you could do one and not the other. Hmm. And then I think of James, because I've been reading it, read it this morning, where, where James says religion that God considers worthwhile is to um, do not taint yourself with the corruption of this world. In other words, don't get caught up in the false falseness and to um, make sure you take care of widows and orphans. Mm-hmm. In other words, to have a concern for, for, you could say justice or those, those in need. Yeah. So he seems to say those both have to happen. Yeah. And that to me makes, sounds like a more comprehensive explanation of like kind of the heart of God and what he's really like, you know, because Jesus came saying that he was bringing the kingdom of God to earth. And yes. so to me, that makes more sense. Cause I, I have heard in some circles that people will say like, Oh no, like, we need to focus just on the good news, like just on the gospel and like talking about other issues that are plaguing our society is a distraction. Um, whereas like, you know, if, if we can, you know, do the religious things right, but God still gets upset when I, cause I think it's, it is Elijah when he says like, you know, seek, seek justice, love mercy, walk humbly with your God. That's that yeah. same passage, right? Yeah. I think, I mean, I, I definitely agree with you. You're right that we, um, we, we we're called to not give up the thought of justice. Like we're, that's still supposed to be a form. I, I get where the other side is coming from when they say, well, um, we can't deal with that. Um, we just need to get people saved or, and, and there is a, a little bit of a point um, in this is what, well, there's two points. One is, is sometimes things that people are struggling with, like, and once they know Jesus, he can start to change those other aspects of your life. So if you hit them first with how evil they are, um, they may never engage with the gospel. Mm. And so um, that's one, but then there's another side of is that you can get in circles where like, well, justice means this and justice means this and justice means it has to be absolutely equal among everybody. And, you know, you, you can end up arguing over what is, how, how do you bring justice within society mm-hmm. and, and make that your fight. You fight over tax policy instead of saying, well, we're called to bear a clear witness to the good news of Jesus. So I could see where, where that, that, does that make sense? Or am I, you want to push back on that some? I, it makes, I can tell you do. <laughs> well, I'm trying to think of how to word it. Cause it, it makes sense. Um, and I guess it's, I guess in my brain, I'm trying to think through like, you know, thinking of it like as a, what is the word I want? Like individually versus like corporately. Right. Because like individually, as we talked about, like for the last sermon, right. Somebody might be called as a Christian to go work on tax reform, right? Like God personally might call them as a Christian to go walk in those areas and to try to create policies that dignify humanity and the people and, you know, fight for the orphans and widows and such. Um, And so it's, but then if you get a, yeah, I could see why, where it could get kind of cumbersome and awkward if like a larger like corporation or, well, not like a, a group of Christians are like, no, this is like, we're going to bring like 
I don't know, like, oh, we're going to bring the gospel to the world by supporting the orphans and widows. I, I guess I I've guess been in Christian denominations that that wanted to fight for justice mm-hmm. and equality, but they did not believe they should talk about Jesus. Right. And I guess that's the like, I think you can have two extremes and yeah. both extremes are bad. But yes, but sometimes and, and I will agree with you. I think I mean, I'll, let's let's be honest. The, the Southern Baptists hmm. are, are going through a reckoning right now because they prioritize getting people quote saved or getting mm-hmm. people in the doors, but ignored evil um, abuse and injustice within their own churches. Yeah, and so that that doesn't work, and that you eventually pay a price for. That. Um. And it, sometimes it's short-term, long-term, right? You want to you want to ignore the problematic injustice because that's not comfortable to talk about. And just well, let's just do more promotion and get people in the doors and get people saved. And no, no, you you God wants to to that's where it goes discipleship. If you go back, to, discipleship means learning to bring God's word in all parts of your life to be mm-hmm. doers and not hearers alone. So. Yeah, no, that that is a good point. And so, so a lot of it is just ignoring the two extremes. <laughs> We're being cautious of yes. the, the trigger words that both of them use. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. And having, uh, maybe the reason I see that is because I've been in both camps. Yeah. I've been in different denominations. And um, so I've, I've seen kind of, uh, I wouldn't say that. No, I wouldn't say that either. So. Mm-hmm. Okay. So speaking of, you know, well, no, never mind. Uh, Ahab, let's go back to him. So, do you think that Ahab repented for selfish reasons? Yes, but I think we all repent for selfish reasons. Ooh. I think our reasons are never, our motives are never crystal clear. And if you want to get your motives perfect before you turn to God, it won't work. You bring to God even your your mixed motives. But I suspect mixed within his motives was some some sense of he he saw what happened and maybe i think i do think he didn't quite fully realize what jezebel was doing and i think when he saw it and maybe he even saw it from god's perspective for a moment he's like i don't want that to be me mm-hmm. and so I, I i suspect mixed within his motives is a little bit of both yeah and i think you know god judged yeah, God does also judge our motives. And so I, I think that like, as you said, right, we can't, we can never repent perfectly or, or you know, with the perfect motives. Right. Um, but God would have known if he was just like doing it as a show and didn't yes. actually care at all. Yeah, that's exactly where I came from. That's why I believe Ahab did some of that because I think God would have seen through it if it was just a show. Mm-hmm. But I also don't want to like convey to people um, who feel the need to get right. Like I've heard people say, well, I can't turn to Jesus because I know I'll never do it perfect. You know what I mean? Like they know. And I'm like, yeah, you come to him as you are. Yeah. If you feel that need, that desire, that is God leading you to him. He'll deal with your motives as you walk with him. Yeah. Yeah. Even just the, I remember somebody explaining to me like the, you know, if you repent and you do the same exact mistake five minutes later, you just repent again and you just keep trying, like keep going, keep trying. Yes. Um, and, uh, and that's really what God is looking for is the, the willingness to turn back. 
part of what it means when you think about being saved by grace is just acknowledging that we can't fix our own heart. Mm. And we need help with that. So I do, so you, one of the main points of your talk was that we can't repent of sin, but still enjoy the fruit of what our sin brings to us. Yeah. Um, so I actually have like, I have a character that I don't think quite fits with that. And I, I kind of want to know what you think. Um, because so if we talk about King David and the wife of Uriah, right? So, so King David murdered Uriah to get his wife. And like they did lose their first child, but then they continued to stay married and then had more children, one of which then was became the next king of Israel. And yeah. so like, was that like, is that? Yeah. So no, you are absolutely right. That's a great example um, of refuting me. And <laughs> so we're going to talk later about that. No, I, 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 <laughs> here's what I would say is the the the. Because I think I'm still struggling with that idea of, of can you sin and still, you know, can you repent and still keep the fruit of the sin? Mm. Um, I, I would say it is a general truth, but not an absolute one. And, and you know, I think David's a good example of, I think he paid the price for that sin. Um, the price wasn't necessarily... Uh, that he wouldn't have Bathsheba as his wife. Hmm. Um, but you definitely, if you see the story of David, the dysfunction in his family that, that racketed through the generations, God did not let him get away scot-free. Mm -hmm. um, that's, that's clear. You, you know, so, so an example of, of one of these, it's kind of a struggle is like the sin of divorce. Mm -hmm. So, is it a sin to walk away from a marriage and say, well, you know, to break your, your covenant relationship? Yeah, that's not what God wants. And especially if you're doing it just because, you know, there's not extenuating circumstances, but you're just saying, well, I think I could do better. Um, but if having done that, having sinned, then you later, you know, do a second marriage and that second marriage, you're, you're walking with the Lord mm. and you know, to repent of your earlier sin does not mean giving up that second marriage. And so I, I think that's an area where Christians do struggle with this concept. Um, yeah. Yeah. Cause I think you have a formulation that helps. Cause I'm not sure I'm. Well, no, cause I was even like kind of related to your kind of what you were struggling with of the, like, can we repent and still enjoy the fruit is even the like idea of like, can I actually always like reconcile or make retribution for my like sins? Like if I repent, can I, can I actually always fix it? And, and right. I don't, I don't think the, yeah, as you said, like sometimes it's complicated and sometimes doing, you know, doing the right thing would be to continue with that just for the, the marriage. To muddle through the situation as you brought yourself to it. Right. Yeah. 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 Just knowing sometimes even God forgives, but he allows us to face the consequences mm -hmm. that naturally flow. That's where I think of David. It's, it's not so much a punishment that his family fell apart later. Just more of, it's just what happens when you marry multiple women. Yep. And you have that, that kind of background in your life. Yeah. Yeah. 
Okay. Um, so we'll try to, I got one more question and we'll try to do this quick because I think we're going long. Um, so you kind of had four truths that you took out of this story. Um, so the first one was the deception of sin and how our hearts can deceive us. Uh, the second was the reality of judgment that like, you know, even if it doesn't happen right then and there, it's coming. Which yeah. is the entire book of Ecclesiastes. Uh, third is the necess necessity of repentance. And then fourth was the amazing grace of God that leads us to forgiveness and cleansing. Um, and so one of the questions I did have, though, was actually on that third one, which is like, if repentance is so necessary, um, like, why, why can we often be hesitant to do it, especially when, like, we do it to each other? Like, if I feel like, you know, if you sin against God, you can just, like, be by yourself and go in prayer and just, like, you know, talk with him. But when we sin to each other, it's a lot harder to ask for forgiveness. Repentance feels like death. Ooh. Doesn't it? Yeah. Like, the, there's that, that part of you that has to die. You have to own up. I use that word a lot, owning up, like, yeah, that was wrong. I should not have done that. And it feels like there's a little part of you that you have to kill off to do that. Hmm. At least that's, I'm trying to grasp for the right wording, but I, I know Paul uses that word, it's like die to ourselves so we can live for Christ. Um, so, yeah, I, I think it's, a, it's our pride. Mm-hmm. You know, there are some who say, well, you should never apologize. That just gives room for the enemy to use, use to your disadvantage. Well, I, you know, it, it takes a hit to your pride to say, you know what? I should have done this, done this better. And so we often give mealy mouth apologies, mm -hmm. like, oh, mistakes were made rather than I should have done better. <laughs> I should have done this differently. I should not have said this. So yeah, and I think sometimes it can be even easy to just like kind of beat it under the bush. Like, well, it doesn't seem like it did that much damage. Nobody's bringing yeah. it back up. So I don't want to be the one to bring it back up. Yeah. And I struggle. Sometimes there are like, are, can you be like, sometimes I still, there's a thing going on. I feel like, I don't think I said what was wrong, even though people are unhappy with it. <laughs> True. And so you do struggle. Should there be, is there some aspect of what I said that was wrong that I should apologize for? Or was I right and they, you know, they just took it wrong. So, I mean, that's why the whole peacemaker thing, it's, it's, a, yeah. um, it's sometimes hard to work out in practice and be, be fair in what you say. Mm -hmm. But um, I think there's still that first thing of look first, you know, take the speck out of your own eye first and consider is the way you approached it. Was there something wrong? Mm -hmm. and if there was own up to it yeah that's hard so yeah i i agree we don't like to do that no <laughs> it's a good thing i i rarely have to do because i pretty much get it right every time so of course, of course. <laughs> oh man and that might be about the right place to end it on that that uh I'm sure God will punish me for that, that line somewhere today. And I'll have to apologize to my family for something. Um, yeah. But as always, it's been a, a pleasure. Yep. Hey, just to, so we have another kind of Elijah's last moment tomorrow at church. Uh, the end, the end for Elijah. And then I actually have two more sermons that, that go off of where Elijah, like what it says about him in the New Testament. 
And so I think those are interesting. We're kind of done with the life of Elijah, but we're not done with Elijah. Those will kind of be sprinkled throughout the summer. We have a lot of different guest messages and things happening, but um, we will hopefully get one last chance to talk about Elijah and, and his life. Looking forward to it. All right. Thanks, Jess. Yep. Have a good one. You too.